Adult content intended for an adult audience only as this contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of this story is purely fiction and not intended for anything but the enjoyment of the listener. If you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out. Warren the Wizard by S.W.M. Mohammed. Chapter 01 Warren wandered down the crowded street enjoying the Renaissance Festival's version of Middle Ages music and the period costumes. This was his favorite time and festival of the year, the annual Renaissance Festival held by his hometown. He was super happy to be there this year and wondered if he would be able to attend the next one or any of the other festivals coming up in the future. He sighed and berated himself once again for being the unbendable ethical asshole he was accused of being just before his boss laid him off. If he hadn't already paid a non-refundable entrance fee for this year's festival he couldn't have afforded to attend. As it was, he had to watch his expenses and not buy as much beer or as many snacks as he normally did. Thankfully, he owned the wizard's costume that he wore year after year so the only expense he had was the gasoline he used to get to the festival and, of course, food and drink. He was good enough friends with some of the performers and concessionists he could and did sleep in their tents or caravans. Warren was the typical computer nerd. He worked programming games during the day then talked about and played them evenings and weekends. He loved online role-playing games and fairs and festivals such as this one. Every chance he got he played the part of a wizard in the games and dressed as one for the festivals and parties he attended if it was appropriate. He had many of the spells, memorized and carried a few props and harmless chemicals to either make a noise or smoke from time to time. He, like many of his friends, was on a first-name basis with many of the magic shop employees in the city and a few who worked in herb shops as well. On his way down the street he stopped from time to time for a chat with some of the many friends he made over the years as well as some people he didn't know who either had an interesting costume or stopped him to talk about his. He also read many of the notices nailed up on bulletin boards and trees. One notice that caught his eye he found very intriguing. It said, Wanted, wizard to join the population of a medieval town. The successful applicant will provide magical services to the townspeople on an as-needed basis. If possible the applicant should bring his own potions, reagents and tools of the trade. An appropriate familiar is a welcome plus. Come join our town for a fun and enjoyable job in a slower time. Warren couldn't see how this could be a real paying proposition, but he wrote the phone number and address down so he could call as soon as he found a quiet place to do so. Since he was unemployed, he thought he'd see what the job entailed and perhaps give it a try. It would be a hoot to play a wizard until he found another job in programming. He was pretty sure, if the ad was for a real job it was seasonal and probably part-time but any job would be good while he searched for another one in his field. Depending on the salary, it would sure beat flipping burgers. Warren had a pet iguana that he would cast as his familiar. The little bastard loved to ride around in his pocket or on his shoulder. In fact, it was with him now. He called it a dragon if asked. As soon as he found a quiet spot he made the call. When the phone was answered Warren could barely understand the man. He was carrying medieval speech to extremes, apparently to stay in character. I, Sir Wizard. 
the man said. "'Tis an opportune time for your call, it is. I'd be doing naught that cannot be put off should you be able to come to my stall for a talk. Oh, yeah, guess I can do that. What time? Why now, Sir Wizard? Warren obtained directions to the man's stall and began walking to his interview. It was only three or four blocks from where he made the call so it didn't take long to get there. When he arrived, he was impressed. The items for sale looked almost authentic and were obviously handmade. He almost forgot why he was there when he began wandering around looking at the pots, pans, camping gear, daggers, clubs, leather goods and homespun clothes. This was really an awesome shop. It seemed to contain anything and everything the well-equipped reenactor could want with the exception of weapons and armor. Warren was dividing his time between looking at the merchandise and an extremely beautiful young woman in period costume who apparently worked in the shop. A man of indeterminate age approached and asked if he could help. Warren said, Yes. I called about the wizard's job? Oh, I. Please, this way. We'll sit a spell and have some ale while we talk about the work. Me missus is in the back. We'll just join her while my daughter minds the stall if you mind not. Warren smiled and said, That's fine. Lead on Macduff. They walked into the back of the stall and passed through a doorway covered by a heavy curtain or light blanket. Just before they left the front of the stall the man said, Gloria, mind the shop while we talk with this young wizard. The small room they entered was plain and contained period-appropriate furnishings for the Middle Ages, again seemingly handmade. An older woman sat at a table covered with all sorts of items from scrolls to small bottles of, well of who knows what. After they were all seated they had a short get-to-know-each-other conversation. Before he realized what was happening Warren found himself being well and truly interviewed about his life, beliefs, knowledge of the Middle Ages and magic. Of course, he could do well with all the questions except for a knowledge of magic. For the, he merely spouted the knowledge he had gained by programming and playing the computer games or by wandering around the fairs and festivals. After a grueling forty-five-minute discussion the man looked at the woman and asked, Well, dear, what do you think? The shopkeeper's wife looked into a crystal ball Warren hadn't noticed before before she said, He appears to be acceptable. He has paltry knowledge of the magic but the power is strong, very strong, in this one. He should do well if he doesn't get himself killed before he learns what's needed. He has no entanglements in this reality. Yes, he'll do fine. It's time for Gloria to take a man in any event. Though she's not a full sorceress, she can safeguard and teach him until he becomes proficient on his own and I perceive they'll do well together. Warren looked at the two with a small amount of fear and started to ask what they were talking about when the man stood and said, So be it. He picked up a wizard staff, spoke an incantation, and Warren found himself in a beautiful forest glade. He fell to the ground in shock when his mind registered the change. As quickly as he and Warren disappeared, the shopkeeper popped back into the stall. Most people wouldn't have even noticed he disappeared and reappeared. When he appeared, he said, Well, my dear, I suppose we'd better tell Gloria and get her to her man before he manages to get into trouble. The old man and his wife walked into the front of the stall. The young woman was flirting with two young men dressed as well to do dandies. When they saw the man and woman walk up to them they decided they needed to move on. Gloria turned to her parents as her father began to speak. Gloria, child, tis time for you to take a husband. We know you've began feeling your womanly needs and that young man needs a woman and someone to instruct him in his duties. Your mother tells me you two are well matched and will do well as a mated couple. Gather your things and be quick about it. I want to take you to him before he manages to get into trouble. Father, please, I know. I know him not, and I'm not ready to be mated.
I, that's enough child. It's done. We've recorded the pairing with the lady already and she's approved. Now let's be off. After a heavy sigh she said, Yes father. And quickly scurried around picking up this and that before stuffing it into a pack that seemingly appeared out of thin air. Finally the said, I'm ready father. Warren's heart was racing as he looked around wondering what the heck happened. All at once, the young woman he saw in the front of the stall and the old man who interviewed him appeared in the center of the glade. He barely noticed the man before he blinked out of sight once more. The young woman looked around, saw him and scowled before beginning to walk toward him. She said, There you are. Don't just sit there, wizard. Up with you. We must be off. Tis a fair walk to the safety of town, and we must make it ere darkness falls. What? Uh, where are we and how the heck did I get here? Are you daft, man? We're in the woods outside town. Papa sent us this far on the way to your new job and our new home. You know, the job you applied for as resident wizard of Tommy's Crossing? Now come on. We must be off husband. Warren had no idea what to say. Finally, he just moved up beside the woman and began to walk with her as she headed down a faint trail leading deeper into the woods. The first thing he thought to ask was, You called me husband a moment ago. I thought I heard your mother say it was time for you to be taken by a man just before I appeared here. What's the story with that? What do you think, husband? Didst thou not hear my family give me to you, not caring about my wants and desires? Tis always the way with us. When it's time the father gives the daughter to her man, they'll most do ask her thoughts on the subject unlike my father did. Okaway. And about this job. I never said I would take it. We never discuss location or hours or pay or anything else about it. Maybe you can fill me in on that as well? Why it pays whatever you care to charge if it's agreeable to your customer. The hours are as you choose. We must find a place to live when we get to Tommy's Crossing but that shouldn't be difficult. There was once a wizard in residence but he just disappeared. Perhaps we can just take over his abode, perhaps some other. We shall see. As they walked on, Warren began peppering her with other questions. None of the answers made a lot of sense to him but she did grudgingly, it seemed, answer his questions. Warren discovered, if she was to be believed, that magic did work here, the woods were dangerous, filled with brigands, bands of elves, most of whom disliked humans, and vicious wild animals. As they walked, she began trying to teach him simple magic incantations that supposedly worked. Well, heck, he knew some of them worked because he saw them. He paid minimal attention to much of what she told him, still in shock over his seeming marriage to this young woman. He was unsure what to make of the fact and how to act although she was a very pretty young woman and his body knew how IT wanted him to act. In fact, considering his past record with girlfriends he was pretty sure he didn't want to be married. Warren wasn't your typical nerd. He liked, some would say, he loved women, maybe too much. He was shy but after a woman and he broke the ice, he could talk to them with the best and he betted more than his share. Therein lay the problem. He wasn't a womanizer or predator, per se, but if the feeling and opportunity struck, he would bet any woman he desired. This, of course, tended to make his girlfriends angry and they broke up with him. After thinking of this and knowing he would do the same here, he said, I don't know about this marriage thing. Maybe we should just split up and go our own way. Tell your father it just didn't work out. I'm not the monogamous type. I tend to, uh, spread myself around as it were if I get the chance. Gloria stopped and stared at him in shock before she shouted, N.O. We cannot. What? Why? 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 You ignorant. Gloria sighed and started over in a quieter voice, saying, 
Because, husband, it is done. Father gave me to you and the lady approved. Mother, the seer, saw we would do well together. I'm sure we'll learn to get along and we might even find some feelings for each other in due time. Now, please, let us move onward. We can continue learning of each other while you learn that which I can teach you about your new position. As for your spreading yourself around as you say, twas always thus, more so with wizards than some others but men in particular do tend to do such. Women just have to accept it should their men doing so bother them. Gloria grinned and looked at Warren before continuing. Some of us though it bothers not. Mayhap we could share? Warren sputtered a moment and said, You mean, uh? Yes, husband. I have never been with a man, not that I'm against it, but I have pleasured and been pleasured by many of my lady friends. Wow. They walked onward in silence for several moments before their conversation picked up once again as Gloria kept giving information to Warren. She told him what to expect and how to act in his new world, hoping he would learn and survive. Truthfully, what Gloria told him didn't really surprise him because it followed along with what he knew from the games he played and dovetailed with his knowledge, however wrong it might be, of the Middle Ages. He was hesitant to use violence for real but thought, hoped, he could do so if it was called for. He was sure he could summon a spell, assuming they really did work. When he was younger he did fight a time or two to protect himself and he got the rudiments of unarmed combat and knife fighting while in the army. It was almost full dark when they finally arrived at A, to Warren, small and dirty town. Gloria said, Finally. We have arrived, husband. This is Tommy's Crossing, our new home. They walked down the dusty street heading toward an and Gloria said would be their temporary home until they could find permanent quarters. As they walked Warren noticed many different expressions on the faces of those they passed. Some looked at them speculatively, others had a more predatory look and some seemed to fear them. He commented on the looks and Gloria said, I, many fear a wizard. Others hope to either steal from you or use you for their own purposes. Of course some want to hire you to enchant or provide magical items. Some hope to harm you and take your possessions. We must be very careful, always, to protect ourselves. Occasionally, other wizards will attempt to kill you and take your magic for themselves. Warren became even more worried and upset about the situation he found himself in when Gloria told him about the dangers they faced. Until then he thought he'd embarked in a fun adventure much like the games he programmed and played. He laughed to himself at that thought and thought. Well, the walking wasn't a fun adventure either. He was dreaming about fucking the ass off Gloria, however. He figured since she claimed they were married he ought to be able to tap that fine ass any time he could get her pussy bare. When they entered the inn the innkeeper's eyes opened widely and he almost bowed before he said, Welcome, Lord Wizard. Welcome. How may I help you? Before Warren could answer, Gloria stepped forward and said, My master requires lodging. We also desire a meal and some of your best ale innkeeper. At once, my lady. He turned and bellowed toward what was obviously the kitchen while he scurried behind the bar to pull the ale. Girl, quickly, two meals for the wizard and his lady. The two tired travelers made their way to a table in a corner near the fireplace. After they sat down, Warren's iguana, Toby, climbed out of his robes and curled up on the table. There was an uproar when he was first seen. The first man to see him let out an oath and jumped from his chair, headed for the door. He yelled, Run, the wizard has a pet dragon. Warren rubbed Toby and said loudly, Calm down. Toby won't hurt anyone if you don't threaten him or me. He just hoped no one figured out Toby wasn't a real dragon and was normally very leery, almost scared, of people. After they completed their meal the innkeeper showed them to their room. 
It could have been better but for the times, Gloria assured Warren it was as clean and comfortable as they were likely to find out as soon as the foot to the room was closed. Warren undressed and lay on the bed. Gloria looked at him strangely and dithered with her clothes. He said, Don't worry about it. Come on, get comfortable and climb into bed, wife. I spend much of my time at home like this. You'll have to get used to it. Yes, husband, she said as she disrobed. Warren felt his cock spring to hardness as her delectable body was revealed. As soon as she got into bed with him, he reached for her and began kissing her while he touched her breasts, enjoying the soft fullness. Soon he moved his mouth to a, by now, hard nipple. He spent several minutes playing with her nipples and giving her an occasional kiss while he rubbed and played with her slick pussy. Finally, he couldn't take any more. She was riding on the bed and moaning by the time he moved over her and slipped his slightly above-average cock into her pretty little pussy. They were both so worked up their coupling was fast, hard and very satisfying. He collapsed onto her then rolled to the side quickly so he didn't smash her. Warren drifted off to sleep almost immediately. The unaccustomed exercise of the walk to town coupled with the two large flagons of ale had him exhausted. The energetic fuck after they got into the room put the cap on his day and drew the last of his strength from his exhausted body. The first morning in town Warren and Gloria rose at a, to him, early hour. Gloria was horrified at how late he slept, however. She said, Finally you awaken husband. How can you sleep so long? The sun is almost fully risen and yet you lay our bed. Come, we must break our fast and begin our search for permanent accommodation. Maybe we can even pick up some coin. By the time they arrived in the inn's common room they were no longer serving breakfast. From the smell and looks of the empty bowls still on the table Warren was just as happy to have missed the meal. It smelled and looked unpalatable. Gloria led him out the door and turned back the way they had entered the town. She walked to the market area where stalls were being opened. She purchased some fresh bread, cheese and sausages at three different stalls. They walked down the street to the river and found a comfortable rock to sit on and have their meal. While they were sitting watching the fog lift from the valley Warren saw a small island in the center of the river. There were tall limestone cliffs that appeared impassable rising from the river. The top of the island was covered with a profusion of bushes and tall trees. He was intrigued by the look and said, That's a pretty island. I could live somewhere like that. Gloria looked out at it and said, How would we get to and from town husband? Our business and all the shops would be difficult to get to, especially in bad weather. I don't know. Let's see if we can find a boat and go look the place over. We can see how hard it is to get to and see if we can find a way to the top. Maybe someone at the ferry can tell us where we can find a boat to rent and give us more information about the island. They wandered over to the ferry crossing that was about 100 feet above the upstream tip of the island. The ferry master said, Ah, the island. Tis truly difficult to get to the top. There are ways, but each has its own danger. As you can see, the bank is no more than six or eight feet on the downstream side and the waters run deep all around it. It is said one of the old wizards used the island for his home and left many traps. Many have tried to go there. Some have never returned dead, I suppose. Others tried and failed, returning without ever attaining the top. Some made it to the top of the island and found spells that warded them off. Ye, being a wizard yourself, might succeed and safely attain the top, but you would know more about that than would I. They finally found an old man who agreed to take them to the island in his small boat and to wait for their return. He refused to go on to the island with them and informed them he would leave at the first sign of danger or dusk whichever occurred first. They made one complete circuit of the island looking for a good place to attempt to scale the cliffs. 
They saw three possible ways up and chose the one that looked easiest. There was a small fissure in the rocks partway around on the far side of the island from the town. It was just a little larger than the boat they were in. The boatman pulled the boat into the fissure and tied up to a rock jutting out from the cliff. Warren and Gloria got out of the boat on a small beach of sand and larger rocks. They began moving slowly up the fissure, heading for the top of the cliff and hopefully the island. After about fifteen minutes of moderately hard work they reached the top of the island and stopped to admire the view. There had been evidence of prior use in several places in the fissure, and the ledge they traversed along the cliff to reach the top. There was a path leading into the interior of the island from where they stood. Warren and Gloria followed the path deeper into the forest. They came upon a small glade with a limestone cabin or small house on the edge of it. There were other large rocks and a small cliff beside it making it almost impossible to see from the island and impossible to see at all from the town. They could clearly see the town from the cabin, however. They could also see the ferry crossing and for some distance upstream. When they entered the cabin they found it tight and still furnished. It was obvious it had not been used in some time. The bedroom contained a skeleton laying on the bed. From the looks of the items in the cabin this was definitely a wizard's abode. Warren turned to Gloria and said, I think this is the place. Let's see who owns this place and see if we can buy or rent it. Husband there. Gloria, that's enough. Okay? I'm willing to admit, based on what you've told me that we're married but can't you please call me by my name or use dear or honey or something? I'm sick of you just calling me husband all the time. Yes, Warren, if that is your desire. Now please let me explain. Unless there is family that takes over a place outside of town, anyone can take it if it's left empty for a time. It's obvious this island is outside town and has been empty for some time so, if you desire it we can just move in. Besides, you're a wizard and have moved into a wizard's abode. None except yon dead wizard would dare question your right to do so. Are you sure this is where we should stay though? Twill make it difficult to do your wizardly business if we lock ourselves up here. It is difficult for customers and those in need to come to us, and I do not want to make it easier for them to come upon us. You have a point. I suppose we could open an office or store in the town. Maybe the innkeeper would let us work from the inn? We shall see. Now, should we look at the rest of the island quickly before we have Jan Boatman take us back to town? They made a quick walk through the rest of the island and headed back to the boat. Their best guess made the island about two acres in size. There was a lot of trees and a couple of open meadows in which they could grow a garden so each was happy. Gloria perhaps more happy than Warren because her magic tended toward horticulture and healing plants and concoctions. When they got back to the inn, planning to stay one more night at least, they found three people waiting on them. There was an extremely distraught woman begging them to see if they could heal her injured child. The men each wanted something enchanted point one of the men was much better dressed than the other two supplicants, and obnoxiously pushed his way to the front of the queue and demanded Warren tend to his requirements, immediately. Warren said, Sir I'll see if I can help you after we check on this lady's child. That seems to be the more important of the requests before us at this time. What? You would dare to assist this peasant before me? Do you know who I am? No, can't say I do but it doesn't matter who you think you are. To me, you're a potential customer with a less important job than this lady's. Now, if you'll excuse me. Warren turned to the woman and said, Now, madam, if you'll kindly lead us to your child, we'll see if we can help. Oh, thank you, sir wizard. Thank you. When they got to the ramshackle cottage in which she lived, the woman opened the door and rushed inside. Inside the dimly lit building they found the woman kneeling beside a pallet on the floor in front of the smoldering fireplace. 
A small, thin little girl was laying on the pallet wheezing and holding her right arm while silent tears ran down her cheeks. Warren and Gloria knelt beside the girl and looked her over quickly. Her hand and arm were scratched, pus was evident under many of the scabs. The arm was clearly broken. The poor girl couldn't have been more than six or seven years old, and, from the looks of her she might not get much older. Warren turned to the woman and said, Get a pot of clean water and set it to boil, please. Gloria and I need to return to the inn for some medication. If you have some clean cloth and a needle and thread, put them in another pot to boil as well. Drop your sharpest knife and with the cloth too, please. When they returned to the inn, both the men were still waiting. The better dressed of the two stood and met them in the middle of the common room. He said, Well, it's about time you returned, wizard. Now, as I was saying, Warren said, Not now. We don't have time for either of you now and probably won't until sometime tomorrow. Now, get out of my way. I need to get some things and return to the girl who needs our care. What? How dare you? I... Warren just kept walking, leaving the man standing with a red face and angry look. Warren and Gloria rapidly returned to the woman's hovel. After the water and other items had been boiling an estimated twenty minutes, Warren had them pulled from the fire and allowed to cool until he could handle them. They carefully cleaned all the injuries and drained the puss from the wounds. He had purchased the supposedly best whiskey the innkeeper had to use as antiseptic. He bandaged the wounds and splinted the arm as best he could. After the physical damage was tended to, he and Gloria began a spell of healing. He felt like a charlatan for doing so but not only did the woman expect it, so did Gloria. Warren decided to go along as it couldn't hurt, and, from what he saw, it just might help. Gloria decided to stay the night with the woman and child but insisted Warren return to the inn. It was well past dark by the time Warren began his trip to the inn. He was still in the poorer part of the town when he heard scuffling feet and then a loud voice say, That's him. Get him quick before he can do anything. To the end of his days, Warren had no idea how he evaded that first rush but he did. All he could think was his instincts from the many hours of gaming he did both at the fairs and online along with some faintly remembered training from his short stint in the army saved him. In any event, he felt the hit and heard a rip as a knife sliced into his robes. He felt a glancing blow from a club on his arm as well. Warren reacted without thinking and ordered a stone he saw on the street to hit the head of the man with the knife. He saw the shock and fear in the man's eyes just before the stone hit him full force. The second man took off running but Warren's battle instincts were fully engaged by then. He gestured and the man's feet became entangled and he went down. Warren rushed to him and quickly tied him before he gathered his senses. After both the men were tied Warren began questioning them. At first they refused to answer but after he began using his knife on the man who had tried to stab him they became more talkative. The knife wielder said, Please Lord Wizard, I've had enough. I had to do it. Merchant Cole has my children and wife. He will sell them into slavery now I have failed him. Who is Merchant Cole and why did he set you upon me? Both men looked surprised and the other said, Lord Wizard, you know not the merchant? He said you disrespected him this night and must be made to pay for your insolence. Have you truly no knowledge of him? Oh, perhaps I do. I never got the name of the pompous windbag that tried to get me to let a young girl suffer so I could do something for him. I told him I would get back with him tomorrow. Is that the asshole who set you upon me? Yes, my lord. I'm sure it is. He said you were rude, obnoxious, and refused to perform the duties he hired you to do. Warren laughed and said, Well, we certainly have a different view of things. For one thing, I had not agreed to do business with the merchant and for another, 
I believe he was the one who was rude and obnoxious. Be that as it may, I'll settle with him once and for all now. The question now is, what am I to do with you? Both men looked scared and began shaking. The first man said, Please, Lord Wizard, do as you will with us, but please don't injure our families. I'm not sure what to do about this. I can't just let you go. If I do that and people find out I don't punish those who attack me, I'll just be inviting more trouble. Warren thought for a moment and smiled. He said, I know just the thing. I have need of some work. It will be hard, physical work. You work for me as hard as you can for two weeks or until the work is completed and I'll let this instance pass. If you ever try to injure me or mine again though I won't be as lenient. Next time, I'll have your life after you've begged me to take it. Are we clear? Both men said. Yes, Lord Wizard. Thank you. Great. Meet me mid-morning near the ferry landing. We have land to clear, garden to plant and some building to do. I suggest you bring your family as well. They can help with the work. Yes, Lord Wizard. Now, just where can I find this merchant that set you on me? I need to discuss this with him. Both men tried to talk over each other giving Warren the information. He finally got them to quiet him down and then questioned the apparent leader about the good merchant. After he released the men he set off for the merchant's house. He didn't even knock on the door when he got there. He kicked the door in and walked into the house. The merchant's wife and two children were cowered against the wall. The merchant grabbed a poker from the fire and confronted Warren as he snarled. You. I should have known those two idiots couldn't do the job. Well, that answers that question. At least I know they were right about you. Warren gestured at the poker and made a throwing gesture. The poker went flying from the merchant's hand and stuck into the wooden wall of his house. With another gesture, Warren caused one of the andirons from the fireplace to fly from the fire and slam into the man's head. He collapsed onto the floor and blood began seeping from his nose, mouth, and ear. The merchant's wife cried out and rushed to his side. She knelt and checked on her husband then looked up at Warren in sorrow and fear. Tears were pouring from her eyes. What of us, Lord Wizard? Now that you've killed my husband, what will you of myself and the children? I have no argument with you unless you wish it. Your husband tried to have me killed this night, and I've punished him. I'm sorry for your loss, but justice is served. Good day, madam. Warren turned and walked from the building, returning to the inn for the night. When he walked through the door, the innkeeper seemed surprised to see him and slightly worried. Before he could say anything, Warren said, Wine and some bread and cheese at my normal table, innkeeper. Warren was still sleeping the next morning when Gloria came slamming into the room. Warren, she said, Are you injured, my love? It's all over town you were attacked by two ruffians, and you killed the merchant. Is it so? Were you injured? Would you please be quiet, Gloria? My head is killing me and my stomach is upset. And yes, I did have a little problem on the way back last night, but I handled it. Now, could I please have some water and maybe a light breakfast before we get to work? I have two men and their families meeting us at the ferry mid-morning to work on our house and the garden. When Warren and Gloria arrived at the ferry, they found both families waiting. All looked almost terrified when Warren approached. After greeting everyone and learning their names, he asked if they knew of a boat they could purchase or even rent. The leader who he learned was Milt said, My lord wizard, I have a boat I use if the need arises. You are welcome to it. Fine. Get it please and let's get to the island. We have work to do. Lord wizard. You mean to go to wizard's island? Tis dangerous there. There are spells and incantations and traps galore there. It is not safe for man or beast. Nonsense. Gloria and I were there yesterday and found nothing we couldn't handle. 
We've the old wizard to bury then cleaning to do as well as some building. Now come on. We're wasting daylight. The next weeks were busy, very busy for all. They cleaned and repaired the small house and began adding another room to it for Warren to use as his office. They also prepared and planted a huge garden. Warren also spent some time in town performing duties as a wizard. He was amazed at the amount of money he could make in a short period of time. He was also amazed that magic worked and that he could perform magic. He found he could write simple computer programs in his head and assign a name to them. Then when the need arose, he could call the program and the .exe extension and voila, the spell activated and worked. It took almost a month to complete the work he had for the two men and their families. True to their word, they stayed until the job was completed. By this time, they were more like family than employees. They had all even gained weight and looked healthier because Warren and Gloria fed them well. On the last day of work, Warren told them they had fulfilled their obligation to him, and they didn't need to return the next day. Everyone looked worried, even sad or scared when he said that. The oldest girl actually began crying. Milt took a step forward and removed his hat before he said, Please, Lord Wizard, is there any way we can stay on? We have no other work and I fear for us if you send us away. Warren looked at Gloria. She smiled and gave a slight nod to her head. He looked at the group and said, I don't have work for all of you and certainly cannot pay you all even if I did. I think I can keep the two men busy at least for a while if that's okay. The gathered people smiled and then boarded the boat for the return trip to the town. There were so many it took two trips. The next morning they all showed up once again. Warren said, What's this? I told you last night we only had work for the men. Why are you all back? Please, sir, said Milt. We know you have need for only us men and will only pay us but our families have nothing in town. They have come to help us and... Mayhap even you and Sorceress Gloria. He looked guilty but continued. Mayhap you could find it in your heart to spare a little food for their effort? Warren laughed and Gloria smiled before he said. Well, mayhap we could at least do that. Welcome. Thank you, my lord. You won't be sorry. While their people worked around the island, Warren and Gloria studied magic and Warren wrote programs to expand his abilities. They had normal business hours in town of a morning, working from the common room in the inn. Afternoons they worked at home studying and helping their employees. Warren was never sure how it happened but soon two small shacks appeared on the other end of the island and the two families moved into them. They now considered themselves his people and were fiercely loyal to him. Chapter 02 Warren, Gloria, and his people as he thought of the two families who seemed to have attached themselves to him, were well settled in on Wizard's Island. He and Gloria had a nice, tight, roomy, and above all, comfortable house on the end of the island nearest Tommy's Crossing. His employees and their families built smaller, less spacious, cabins near the other end, telling him it wouldn't be right for them to live right next door to him and Gloria. He never saw anyone work as long or as hard as those two families did. He had quickly come to think of them more as friends or family rather than two ruffians, and their families, who attacked him right after he came to town. They were growing a large garden and had some pigs and chickens on the island. They also ate a lot of fish as the river was full of them, and they fried up very nicely. It was a beautiful day and Warren was reminiscing about the last four months from the time he appeared in this reality to the present. He missed his parents and some of the conveniences of his former home but, all in all, he was much happier here than in his original reality. Warren sighed and returned to his reading. He was trying to learn more magic now that he was convinced it truly did exist in this realm. 
He just couldn't accept the concept at first even though Gloria had showed him some simple spells the first day they were here, and he had used some the second day. It was difficult to overcome a lifetime of non-belief but he had done so. Now he was trying to learn his new trade dot he already knew the magic he did was totally different from that practice here and now. He had been a computer programmer by trade and he found his spells had a lot in common with the programs he wrote in his other reality. At first, he concocted the spells in his head using simple batch files and then executing them as if he was using a computer. He visualized a computer screen in his mind and wrote the spell to make whatever he wanted to happen as if it was going on in a computer. Easy to say and visualize but difficult to do in life. Many of his attempts failed because the necessary code was too long and convoluted or he made a programming error. Sure, some of his spells worked but he finally had to begin writing them down and cleaning them up as they got more sophisticated. It was especially difficult to do because if he wrote the spell completely out on one sheet of hide, paper or parchment it tried to execute. He had to separate the code to make it unintelligible to keep it from trying to execute. Some of the time the separated code would actually execute anyway and do something completely different from what he intended when he added the .exe command at the end of the written spell. He got around that by just annotating, and, and knowing he had to use .exe when he invoked the spell dot he didn't like the way magic was done here either, however. It appeared a magician memorized each spell so he could use them. The number of spells you could do was limited by memory, and the time it took you to memorize a spell as well as your innate ability to even do magic. If you had no magical capability knowing and invoking the spell would not result in it working dot of course. Memorizing a code or phrase took time and study also, but he thought he could simplify things by writing the code then only memorizing the word or words to invoke the spell. For example, it might take a hundred or even thousands of lines of code to accomplish a task but he could sum it up with the word or words followed by .exe to execute the program instead of vocalizing the spell each time he wanted to invoke it. He was frustrated, slightly angry, in fact, just plain pissed off by the complexity of the whole damn thing. Now it was getting too dark to see well enough to work any longer, and the simple oil lamps used here didn't help much. With an oath Warren pushed back from his desk and stared out the window at the deepening dusk. Tanya heard him and came into the room. She walked up beside him and began rubbing his shoulder. She asked, What troubles you, my lord? Without thinking Warren reached out and pulled her dress up enough to run his hand up her bare leg. When he got to mid-thigh he felt her shift her stance slightly as she spread her legs for him. He touched the outer lips of her pussy and she moaned. Warren realized about then it was Tanya he was playing with rather than Gloria. He started to pull his hand back and said, Tanya, I'm sorry my dear. I wasn't thinking. Tanya quickly grabbed his hand and pulled it back up toward her already wet pussy. No, my lord wizard. Please don't stop. Tis been my greatest desire that you would one day take me. Warren sat a moment without moving but his willpower was lacking. The moist heat and knowledge of where his hand was combined with being horny overrode his thinking and he consciously began playing with Tanya. She became more and more wet as he continued. All at once she screamed out her joy and almost collapsed as her orgasm tore through her body. He could feel her tight little pussy pulsing and contracting on his fingers. Tanya grabbed his hand and pulled him up. She almost ran to the thick rug in front of the fireplace in his study. She pulled her skirt up and lay back, spreading her legs and pulling her knees up. Please, she begged as she raised her arms toward him. Warren was past thinking. He quickly removed his robe and bell between her thighs. She guided his throbbing cock into her molten core. When he was well seated, she slammed her pelvis upward and screamed her delight as he slammed down into her. Gloria heard the screams and came into the room. 
She stopped when she saw the copulating couple and smiled. She watched for several minutes before her lust overcame her, and she pulled her skirt up so she could reach her pussy. She quickly began frigging herself and warbled out her release just as Warren spewed his load into Tanya. Warren rolled off Tanya onto the rug beside her and saw Gloria. He felt a surge of fear in his stomach at the sight then relaxed when he saw where her hands were and noticed she didn't look upset. Gloria walked sexily toward the resting couple and lay behind Warren. She wrapped her upper arm over his chest and pulled them tightly together as she whispered. Was she as good as you dreamed she would be my love? Warren turned and gave Gloria a deep kiss. Maybe better, my dear. You're not angry, are you? I didn't realize she wasn't you at first. No, husband. I told you when we arrived in this reality you were free to take any female you desired and I meant it. She gave him a quick kiss and stood. Now I have to return to the kitchen before I ruin supper. Enjoy your new woman. I'll call you when it's time to dine. Warren rolled back to cuddle Tanya. He quickly hardened once again caused in part by his playing with her delightful bits and in part by her holding and manipulating his cock. He mounted her, putting her bent knees behind his arms and tilting her pelvis upward, bending her almost double. He started slowly but was soon pounding down into her as hard as he could. As their bodies shook and jiggled from the force of his thrust he listened to her cries of passion and the loud slap, slap, slap of their coupling. Much too soon, Warren felt his orgasm rising once again. He was almost ready to let go when Tanya screamed louder than she had before and her cunt latched down on him. He felt her pussy pulsing and her body shook and shuddered in orgasm. This sent him over the edge and he let out a huge roar, slammed down into her once more then held himself tightly to her for a moment before he began making short finishing thrusts to prolong the pleasure. Once again, he rolled to the side and cuddled with Tanya. This time they both drifted off to sleep only to be wakened by Gloria some time later. Hey sleepyheads. Wake up. Supper is ready. Come eat before it cools and I have to warm it for you. The sated couple groggily rose and walked to the table. They were sitting in the dim light eating. It was very difficult to see in the dim light of the small oil lamp. Once again Warren missed something from his other life. He never realized how electric devices of all types made things easier until he had to survive without them. He missed electric lights almost more than anything else. Well, he did miss his computers and the gaming also but lights were the thing he really wanted now, like many. Wizards, nerds, and programmers Warren was a night owl. When he finished his meal he wandered, heck, he almost ran, back into his study and sat at the inadequately lighted desk. This time, he wasn't thinking about learning magic in general, he was thinking about one specific thing, a good reliable, bright light to see and work by. Warren leaned back in his chair and put his feet on the desk while he thought about electricity. Lights and his need dot he knew electricity was generated by generators attached to turbines of various types. He knew the current was the movement of electrons through the conductors, preferably copper wire but other things would work as well. If he could generate electricity he still had hurdles to cross in the form of light bulbs, controls and oh, so many other things dot he was far, far from being an electrical engineer but had some rudimentary knowledge. Soon, while he was thinking, he began putting his ideas down on paper. He drew a simple generator, a circuit for the power to move through and sat contemplating it. For some reason, he added the sine wave of the power output from the generator. I in exasperation he once again leaned back in his chair. Another exercise in futility. He knew the basics of electricity and power generation and distribution but had none of the items needed to generate, transmit, or use the power. The next morning, Warren went to town and spoke to the blacksmith. Yes, he knew what copper was and thought he could get some but why? 
It was much too soft a metal to be good for much. Warren convinced him that was okay, he needed a lot of it for an experiment. The blacksmith grumbled about weird wizards while he turned back to his work. He knew it was best to humor wizards so made the order for the requested metal. After it arrived he sent a boy to find Warren so he could get it off his hands. Warren took the impure copper back to his island and cloistered himself in his shop once again. From time to time, he sent one of his men for metals, magnets, and other items. They had no idea what he wanted them for but he was the master and a wizard to boot so off they went dot he really didn't know how he did what he did but Warren learned to manipulate the various metals, purifying them and even forming them into the shapes he desired. He pulled wire from the copper and working day and night managed to build a crude generator. He went to the river bank and found various sands he managed to fire into glass. Working long hours he learned to blow glass then figured out how to remove the air inside the closed bulb. That was easy. Somehow during his studies, he learned how to see down to the atomic level. He could actually see the atoms and molecules in his mind's eye. He had learned a spell to move items from place to place although he could only move a few pounds so moving the gases from the bulb wasn't difficult. He experimented for hours until he found material to make a filament for the bulb and inserted it through the glass. After months of work Warren had a generator, wires and rudimentary light bulb. He wired everything together and turned the generator by hand, generating a small current that caused a slight glow in the bulb. He was super excited. He had his electric lights. Now to make a way to turn the generator and see how bright he could make the light, Warren sat thinking about his latest work. He had the concept and rudimentary equipment. He thought about the generator turning and producing power that fed into the bulb. He knew the cycles per second he needed, the voltage, current, etc. He even thought he remembered the Earth's magnetic field had something to do with electricity. Wouldn't it be great if he could just tap into that? Hum. Warren sat up and grabbed his light bulb and snipped off a portion of the copper wire from the circuit connecting it to the generator. He had hardwired the bulb into the circuit since he hadn't bothered to make a screw cap for it. He reached out, hell, he didn't even know where, and pulled, trying to think a connection of the natural electric-slash-magnetic current of the earth to the wire leading to his bulb. He visualized the proper voltage and amperage. To his surprise, the bulb began to glow. As he turned things up mentally, the glow became brighter, reducing it made it dimmer. Warren spent the rest of the night playing with his new knowledge. He had no idea where the power was coming from but assumed from the earth itself. Whatever, he had it and was ecstatically happy. He even built a small heater that could either be enlarged to heat a room or used to cook on. He called his light a magic lantern just for giggles. Sometime, just before dawn, he staggered off to bed, leaving his lantern on brightly. Late that morning, just before noon, he finally woke and wandered into the main part of the house to find his women and some food and drink. When they saw him Gloria and Tanya rushed to him. Tanya almost shouted, Warren, there's something in your office. It's so bright it hurts the eyes. It seems a monster or demon has taken residence within. Warren laughed and said, No, my dear. I suspect you're seeing my magic lantern. I think I forgot to turn off when I came to bed. Shall we go see? The three walked into the office and Tanya pointed to the light and said, There it sits, my love. Is it truly one of your spells? Yes, I suppose you could call it that. I was tired of the poor light given off by the oil lamps and desired something better much like I had in my prior home. Tis truly wonderful, husband. You are truly a great wizard. At first, Warren had quite a lot of trouble with his lantern. The filament in the bulb was fragile and didn't last long. A heavy bump could break it even if it didn't break the glass, and it burned out quickly. 
Warren finally found a spell that strengthened the filament, and, even the glass bulb, to the point they were extremely long-lasting. At first, knowledge of his magic lantern generated fear but soon, people who thought they needed brighter light began asking to purchase one. They did take a small amount of time to build but rapidly became the largest part of his business. Warren was becoming very rich selling his lanterns. His other abilities and spells were still in demand but he was having trouble finding time to do everything and study and learn. Be why this time, Ward had decided the magic of this reality was better, in general, than any he could come up with on his own so, more and more, he just studied locally discovered spells when he could obtain them. Magical knowledge was jealously guarded by the practitioners, however, so unless he found someone's spell book or could reverse engineer a spell, he was forced to develop his own. Thankfully, he inherited quite a library with his house. He began merging his programming magic with the spells he found in the dead magician's house. The end result was cleaner, easier to invoke spells. Instead of having to recite the entire spell, he programmed the spell and used the keyword and the .exe extension to activate it when needed. He now had several defensive spells, a spell to call and send small items, his magic lantern and a few healing spells. One day three large boats came rowing up the river. They looked similar to the old Viking long ships from his reality. He was watching them and admiring how they handled when they turned and beached on the bank near the town. Soon heavily armed men came pouring from the boats, yelling and killing everyone they came in contact with. Warren moved to a protected overlook on the cliff nearest town and began using his magic to reduce the attackers. He threw rocks and called fireballs from his fire to use on the ships. When he saw a man he was sure was an enemy, he sent one of his men's arrows into them. He had to refine his thrust, however as his first few went with such force they ran completely through their targets. After he could see no more invaders from his post on the bluff, Warren decided he would go to town and see if he could help more. He was sure his powers as a doctor would be needed even if he didn't need to fight the invaders again. He wished there was a faster way to get to town than the slow rowboat but there wasn't. Warren was looking at the pier on which they normally landed wishing he was already there when he felt a pulling, twisting feeling. He shouted in surprise when all at once, he found himself standing on the pier. He spent a moment standing in surprise as he realized he had unlocked the ability to teleport. He tried to remember how he had done it so he could do it again, then took off for town where he heard fighting still going on. Upon arriving in the center of town he was more than glad he came. The invaders were overrunning the townspeople badly. Many townsmen were laying in the street either dead or badly injured as were several invaders. Warren began pulling cross-bow quarrels and arrows from bodies and sending them into the invaders as he shielded himself from their constant attacks by visualizing bulletproof glass. Finally, in fear and desperation, the invaders began to retreat toward the boats on the riverbank. With a yell, the townsfolk followed as did Warren. The invaders arrived at the river only to see their boats burning from Warren's earlier attack and the guards they left behind laying dead where they fell. Some of the invaders turned to fight with their backs to the river but some decided running was in order. Some took off downstream at a dead run, dropping their weapons as they went. Others dropped their weapons and took to the river floating downstream on pieces of their ships or driftwood. Townsmen followed down the river bank still shooting quarrels and arrows at them until they all looked like pincushions. Warren watched to be sure the invaders were all either dead or running before he returned to town to aid the wounded. He was deeply involved in surgery and healing when Gloria and the other people from the island arrived to help. Of course, like most wives, before Gloria and Tanya began helping the injured they had to chastise Warren for just disappearing to town without taking them and his other people for protection and to help also. I'm sorry ladies, he said. I didn't know I could teleport. 
After I killed the invaders I could see and set their ships on fire I decided to come to town and help. I stood and looked at the pier, wishing desperately that I could be there immediately rather than taking the time I would need if I took the boat. All at once, I found myself there. I did the only thing I could do at that time and tried to remember how I made the trip, then I came to town to be of assistance. I'll do my best not to do something similar again. That mollified his wives somewhat but they were still scared and slightly angry with him. Tanya said, But you could have been hurt or killed without us to help. Could you have not came back for us before wading into battle? Humph. Men. She then turned to the work of aiding the injured townsfolk. Warren didn't like the fact, but after the battle the dead were stripped and the invaders' bodies were just thrown into the river. He tried to tell the townspeople how bad an idea that was from a pollution and health standpoint, if nothing else but they were adamant. None would waste their time and energy burying invaders. Besides, they said, the bodies floating past would be a warning to others not to attack their town again. The friends and loved ones who died in the battle were treated much differently, however. They were given a good funeral and their exploits were revered at the services and for some time thereafter in the pub. Unfortunately, their survivors didn't get much attention of a concrete nature, just condolences, mostly. In disgust, Warren finally went to the homes of all the widows from the battle and offered to take them into his household should they find they couldn't make it on their own if their families couldn't or wouldn't help him. He gained seven widows and twenty-six children of various ages from that. To his horror, each of the adult or near-adult, females not only expected, but demanded they lay in his bed from time to time. The story of Tommy's crossing's victory against the invaders spread rapidly along the river and far inland. The few retreating invaders spread the news downstream. Few survived the people of Tommy's Crossing and the citizens of the downstream towns and villages that had been attacked before, but those who did carried the news farther. Travelers to and through those towns as well as those who passed through Tommy's Crossing carried the news farther. Of course, the news, perhaps rightfully, perhaps not, gave almost all the credit for the great victory to the wizard on the river as Warren was becoming known. Soon people from outside the normal business and trading area began coming to see the famous wizard and hopefully— purchase one or more of the lanterns and spells Warren produced. Warren became known far and wide as a great wizard. Soon young men and occasionally, a young woman began showing up hoping to become his apprentice. Unfortunately, many of them either had no magical ability at all or only a marginal capability. Gloria claimed that maybe one in a thousand had enough of whatever it took to become a wizard although he and Gloria did take on a few young apprentices who had some minor talent. Most of these would become what came to be known as hedge witches or healers, a most needed specialty in its own right. Chapter 03 After the excitement of the battle and cleaning up the mess, Warren tried to return to a more pastoral, sedate life. He found he enjoyed the slow, simple life he had here. Of course, being a wizard, he didn't have the backbreaking work the common man had. He watched his people and the townspeople toil in hard physical labor day in and day out, and felt somewhat sad that all they knew was hard work with very little joy in their life. He wanted to do something about that but felt as if he was limited in what he could do. He did try to provide good food and what creature comforts he could for his people but still wanted to provide more. Warren and Gloria still held morning, office hours, in the common room of the local inn for those who needed healing or other wizarding work. The innkeeper even agreed to stop charging them for the space when he discovered his business increased significantly with them there. It seems the people who came to see the wizard purchased a drink, or meal, or both much of the time. Some even purchased a room for a day or two. The days Warren and Gloria weren't there, profits for the inn were less than he noticed. Afternoons, 
Warren and Gloria returned to the island to work there. Sometimes they worked on projects for customers, sometimes on personal projects. Of course, both of them spent a lot of time studying magic and trying to develop new spells or remedies for illness too. At first, Warren spent a lot of time perfecting his last discovery, teleportation. With a little practice, he found he could teleport to any destination he could see easily. It took some time for him to be able to teleport to a place he had been but, for limited distances, he could finally do that although he had to be able to visualize it clearly in his mind's eye for the teleportation to work. Try as he might, however, he could not teleport back to his home reality point one evening Warren popped back into the house from a quick trip to town and was complaining to Gloria about his inability to return home once again. She said, My lord husband, do you not realize only a very few can travel the dimensions? You're extremely lucky to have the ability to, as you call it, teleport. I only know of three wizards who can travel between the dimensions like my father does. Only a few others can teleport and many, in fact, most of them can only jump, as we call it, to places they can see. Even if they can see the location they're going to they are still very limited as to distance. Most can only go what you would call a quarter mile. Perhaps, if he ever comes to see us father can teach you how to travel the dimensions, assuming you harbor the power for such a spell. Oh, I didn't know. I thought it was all the same thing. No, my dear. I don't know how to do either, though I've tried to follow as you explained the teleporting to me. It takes great ability to teleport, and to use the mind magic to lift and throw objects, as you do. A dejected Warren gave Gloria a tight hug and kiss before he returned to his office slash study and his never-ending quest for knowledge. He decided he had teleporting and the lantern spells down pat so he turned his attention to other work. The years passed, and Warren's knowledge and reputation grew. His small town prospered and grew into, for the times, a fairly large city. No one knew for sure but it was rumored there were over 4,000 people living in the town. Thanks to Warren's insistence on good hygiene and his limited ability to produce medications and treat illness and wounds they were very healthy. Infant and child mortality plummeted causing great growth and much adoration for the wizard Warren. He and Gloria were credited for keeping everyone healthy because of spells. Rather than just the simple cleanliness they demanded. As the town grew Warren also insisted on installing sewers to handle the waste. Instead of pulling their water from the river, he made them locate springs and pipe the water to town. They used all the water from two springs thus ensuring a clean, safe drinking water supply as well. Apprentice hopefuls continued to arrive, convinced he could teach them how to become a powerful wizard as he was. Many had the desire but no talent and were sent on their way. Others were accepted into what had become a school system for the city. After they mastered reading, writing and arithmetic, the three R's reading, written and arithmetic, those who had potential for some sort of magic were taken to Wizard's Island for further training. The training on the island was broken down into classes as was any proper school curriculum. Every magically capable person had to take the entry-level class. There was no set time limit to complete the course of study. Rather, they studied until they passed the exit exams, or it was determined they never would, or the student voluntarily left or was expelled for some reason. This course consisted of what Warren and Gloria called magic theory, ethics, and introduction to health and medicine. After completing the entry-level class, the hopeful wizard or wizardess could specialize if they so desired— there were separate classes for those few who were unable to become full wizards such as the healers and hedge witches previously mentioned. Some wanted only to enchant items, some only to learning healing magic and a few only to travel strangely enough although most wanted to be generalists and study it all. The various specialties took various lengths of time for the course, once again, not graduating, 
until they could pass the exams. As was bound to happen, one day a young woman appeared in town hunting Warren the wizard. He had already left for the day so the innkeeper graciously agreed to rent her a room and sell her meals until he returned the next day. She was waiting on him in the common room when he popped in the next morning. The young lady screamed, jumped and almost pushed her chair over backwards when Warren popped into existence only a couple of feet from where she was sitting at his normal table. After she recovered somewhat she pulled a small club from her belt, confronted Warren and said, You son of a bitch! What's the idea jumping out at me like that? Now get the hell away from me before I hand you your ass. Of course, Warren was somewhat upset because he startled the woman. Most people around knew he popped in and were no longer surprised. Also, no one, but no one dared sit at his table as this woman had done. He said, I'm sorry I startled you lady but if you don't put that stick away right now I'm going to stick it up your ass. This is my table and I use it for business. I'm surprised no one told you that. Who the hell do you think you are, the Godfather or Superman? I think this table belongs to the in here for their customers to use. Now leave me alone. I'm waiting on Warren the wizard then I'll be on my way and you can have the damn table. Warren laughed and said, What can I do for you? Nothing you oaf. I'm waiting on the wizard I said. Yes I heard you. I'm Warren the local wizard. Now how may I help you? Oh shit. She said as she blushed. I'm sorry sir. You scared me and after some of the assholes I've had run-ins with I'm afraid I reacted without thinking. I've heard you're the greatest wizard of all time and I came to beg you to take me on as your apprentice. I've heard you have a unique way to call and activate spells. If I'm right, I think we may have a lot in common and may be able to help each other. What do you mean by that, lady? The woman leaned forward and whispered. From what I've been able to learn, you use, uh, computer code and terminology to execute your spells. If you do, I need to know where and when you came from. Can we go back? Warren sat down heavily at the table and looked at the woman a moment then asked, Who are you and how did you find me? Who sent you? I'm Brenda MC. Warren yelled, Stop. When she stopped talking and looked angrily at him he leaned closer and continued, First lesson, never speak your true real name on the air here. Enemies can get it and use it against you. For your sake, I hope you've never given your true name since you arrived. Oh. She bit her lower lip before she continued, I didn't know. I think I've given my name to a handful of people since that odious little twerp just dropped me near a small town several days travel west of here. If it helps I never gave them my full name, just the first and last. Hum, I really don't know for sure. That may help some. I have to admit I haven't studied up on the name thing. I just know I was warned about it, and I've found a few spells that require the target's true name for them to work. Okay, now where and when are you from? Sorry. As I said, I'm Brenda. I work for the FBI, cybersecurity. I was investigating a case in 2035 when enemy agents captured me. They were working me over pretty hard when this strange old man with a bunch of other old men broke in and rescued me. They all chanted some strange mumbo-jumbo and poof, I was just outside some shitty old town. Before I could do or say anything he said, Welcome to your new home, Madam Wizard. And disappeared. I stopped the bleeding and bandaged my injuries as much as I could and followed what passes for a road here into the little burg. I don't know how many heads I had to knock together before the local assholes got the word and left me alone. I barely managed to eat for a while until I managed to find a job. I suppose I've been here three or four years now. About eighteen months ago I began hearing about you. Some of the words I heard people claiming you used in your spells made me decide to come check you out to see if we could help each other. Hum. I see. 
I guess some of the language I use would tip someone off about my origins if they had knowledge of it. As for you helping me, I doubt it. I'm sure I can help you though, depending on what exactly you need help with. If you need or want help getting back home, forget it. I can't even get myself home, not that I even want to go there now. Well, I would like to go visit my parents if they're still alive but I've settled in fine here and consider this my home now. I have two wonderful wives and several friends. One of them is the daughter of the wizard that shanghaied me to this place. The other, Tanya, is the daughter of a man that tried to kill me shortly after I arrived. I'm accepted here and I'm making a difference. Oh, if you can help me get back, how do you propose to help me? Well, even though you've been here four years you don't look or act as if you're very successful. For those men to have taken you and brought you here, they had to know you had some pretty good ability as a wizard. I'm surprised you haven't set yourself up as one. You can make a pretty good living around here doing that. Brenda laughed and said, You're joking, right? Magic and all that? What kind of racket are you pulling here? You and I both know there's no such thing as true magic. Huh. Well, you obviously have strong potential but just as obviously you have a strong mental block or you'd have been doing some kind of magic by now. Never mind, we can help with that if you want to come to our school. Yeah, right. You use a bunch of mumbo-jumbo cyberspeak and fool the locals. Maybe throw some powder in a fire and make pretty colors or something and call it magic. They're impressed and voila, you're a wizard. I get it. Warren sighed and said, Okay, we'll do this another way. By now, he had gained enough knowledge and power he could teleport several hundred pounds with him. He grabbed her around the torso and began his spell. Before she had a chance to break his hold they were in his office on Wizard's Island. Brenda broke the hold and stepped back from him, assuming a combat stance. She noticed the room was different and stood rapidly before looking around. Warren smiled and asked, Do you believe me now? How did you do that? I thought you said you couldn't take us back home. And where are we? It's a simple teleport spell, Brenda. We're in my office on Wizard's Island. And I can't take us home. Dimension travel is impossible for me and is totally different from simple teleportation like I just did. Come over here to the window and look out. You can see the town from here and just barely see the inn. See? Brenda walked over beside Warren and looked. She reached into her pocket and looked at an old analog watch to check the time. It was less than ten minutes since Warren had popped into the inn beside her. There was no way he could have knocked her out and carried her over here in that amount of time. She turned from the window and walked around the room slowly, stopping every so often to look at something. When she came to the magic lantern she stopped and bent toward it for a closer look. Warren turned up the power then reduced it. Brenda jumped back and watched then looked for the wiring. She said, It looks sort of like a light bulb but there's no wiring and of course, it's very crude. You can't have broadcast power. I know they didn't have it in your time because it was still a dream for us. How do you do that? That's part of what we can teach you here at the school if you have the ability. That's just one of the ways we can help you if you want us to and you do actually have great enough magical ability. About that time Gloria and Tanya came into the room. Before they saw Brenda, Gloria asked, Warren, what are you doing in here? I thought you went to work. Oh, who's this? Warren introduced Brenda and explained what she was doing there then said, Now, I suppose I should get back to the inn for office hours. Brenda, would you like to come with me to see some of what we do around here? Yes, please. It was just an average day for Warren at the inn, with the exception of meeting Brenda. He did a few enchantments, sold a couple of lanterns and did some minor medical procedures. 
Brenda was actually able to help with the basic first aid on a couple of injured people. Just shortly after noon, he and Brenda teleported back to the island. After lunch, Warren, Gloria and Tanya gave Brenda a tour of the house and island before they sat and answered more of her questions. She decided to join the school so she could learn a trade in case she was stuck here for the rest of her life. She needed something to make more money than she was currently making so she could live in comfort. She admitted she would probably have been dead by now if she'd been left in her own reality. After the tour, Brenda said, You've done pretty well here, looks like. Your home is much more modern and comfortable than any I've seen since I've been here. We think so. I've done what I can. I'm teaching as many people as I can to make more modern things, trying to raise the standard of living for as many people as I can. So far, my largest and best contribution has been in medical care, simple hygiene and first aid. I forced through a rudimentary sewer and water system for the town. I've done all I can to educate people about bacteria and virus, stressing the importance of washing hands, bodies, tables, dining and cooking gear. The idea is slowly taking hold. I had to sell the soap as a charm to drive away evil spirits, but since it's been adopted infection and illness has declined. Infant and child mortality is almost down to 2020 standards. Wow. I'm impressed. I don't know if I would have ever thought about doing that. All I was trying to do was survive. I never thought about making medicine or alcohol to pass off as potions and spells. I could have done pretty good doing that, I bet. Not all of the current crop of apprentices were happy to see Brenda joining them. This was a very misogynistic society, and to many of them a woman had her place, and that place was in the house, preferably in bed if she wasn't cooking or caring for the kids. Oh, they accepted the medicine women whether they called them hedge witches or healers, but they were an exception to the rule. Most of the males thought if the wizard was going to train Brenda it should be done by Gloria as a healer. Warren was getting ready to drop the hammer on some of the worst offenders when Brenda took the initiative. Her actions didn't change many minds probably but it did put a stop to the overt complaints and harassment. Obviously, being from 2035 and an FBI agent, Brenda didn't have to learn the three R's or the rudimentary hand-to-hand self-defense moves Warren had incorporated in the syllabus. He did have her in the hand-to-hand class but as an instructor, not a student. Two of the largest young men, budding bullies Warren was thinking about dropping because of their attitude, decided to teach the uppity female a lesson. The young men ganged up on Brenda much to their regret. She broke an arm for each of them and beat the crap out of them besides. She never used a weapon even though by the end of the little dust-up each of the men had one. One had a club, the other a short knife he used for eating. The man with the knife had a much more severe beating than did the other one and lost his knife to boot. Well, not really. Brenda gave both pieces back to him. Warren was going to let the men heal then send them on their way. Brenda asked, Are you sure that's necessary, sir? They made their play and got their lumps. That wasn't anything most women haven't faced one way or another for centuries. Well, I don't like it and that kind of attitude in someone of power as most wizards will be is unacceptable. I've been trying to decide whether to kick them out for a while but kept hoping they'd improve so I didn't have to. They're both going to be mid-level wizards if they live up to their potential. Warren, Brenda and Gloria met later that evening and discussed the men's performance and potential. They decided to give them one last chance. During the meeting, Brenda said, I've been looking over some of your spells in my free time, trying to get a jump on the training. Your idea to use simple computer code to clean up the spells and invoke them is brilliant. I've found a couple that I think I can fine-tune if you'll let me, though. Warren thought about her proposition for a moment then said, Intellectually, I don't have a problem with that. 
One of the duties of a wizard is discovering new spells and improving older ones as well as pushing the boundaries of medicine and even technology, or what passes for it here. I think you should wait until you have a greater understanding of the way magic works before you try anything like that though. I had some really close calls and some spectacular mistakes while I was learning. After you've been in the classes for a time, bring the spells to me and we'll look at them together. I'm willing to admit your computer knowledge probably greatly eclipses mine both because of your PhD and because you come from several years in my future but I still have more knowledge of magic than you do and know a little more about what to look out for. Fair enough. As might be expected, Brenda didn't take long to master the course of study and become a journeyman wizard. Once again the bad boys became upset when Warren pronounced she had completed the class requirements and was made a journeyman. To add insult to injury, Brenda didn't take off and go out into the world to make a place for herself. She asked and was allowed to remain in Tommy's Crossing to assist Warren. That was partly because they came from the same general time period and could converse well with each other and partly because business was booming. Another factor in her decision to remain was their intention to collaborate on spells and introduction of some simple technology. She didn't even plan to leave after she became proficient enough to be elevated to Master Wizard status unless Warren asked her to go. This time when the two young apprentices caused trouble Warren sent them packing. They had been with him for over two years and could do almost no mid-level magic and many of the lower-level spells they did were done poorly. Warren, Gloria, Tanya and Brenda were sitting in their house one evening after supper discussing the school and the changes they foresaw coming. One other topic of discussion was when to allow their children to begin attending classes. Gloria's son Warren Jr. was six years old and Tanya's daughter, Trixie, was five. They each had another, younger child nearing school age as well. They had been teaching all the children at home but it was becoming a chore to give classes during the day then teach the children in the evening as well as complete all their other tasks even with domestic help. Warren leaned back in his chair and said, I don't see any way out of just sending them to the classes. We'll have to watch them for several reasons but I think the benefits outweigh the drawbacks. We free up time in the evening, they get more schooling and social interaction. We'll have to watch and ensure the other students don't pick on them either because of their age, their sex, or their relationship to us. As young as they are we'll have to watch them to be sure they don't act childish and use a spell inappropriately as well. Having decided that, the next Monday there were four more young students in the classes. At least they were still in the entry-level classes. There was some resentment among the older apprentices, however, because the two oldest children could already do many of the three R's and the two younger ones were picking up the knowledge faster than the older apprentices. Chapter 04 Warren's children were doing well in the school. The two older children were already journeyman wizards and the younger two would be soon. His oldest child Warren J.R. was only nine years old but already knew more magic than Warren himself. Trixie, Tanya's and his oldest daughter was almost as well trained. She would be elevated to journeyman status at the end of the month. Junior was working as a teacher at the school, doing private research and doing most of the business for his father now, even at his young age. The entire family was busy expanding the breadth of knowledge magically and technologically. Warren tried to control the kinds of technology introduced, however, hoping to prevent many of the excesses that occurred in his reality-slash-dimension. He still wasn't sure exactly what to call it. He limited introduction of knowledge and technology that could adversely impact the environment as much as he could. He stressed knowledge and schooling in the magical and healing arts for the magically inclined and for those who had no magic. He stressed general education and ethics. Tommy's crossing and the surrounding area was growing and prospering as no other city had in this reality. Warren charged a fair price for his services and items, 
magic and manufactured, his companies produced and sold. He, his family, their retainers, and employees were very well off, some would even say rich, by any standards. Like many well-to-do people, self-made millionaires and company founders they were admired and vilified. They were admired for what they had and vilified because they had it, and others didn't. For most of the summer, news had been reaching Tommy's Crossing about a band of wizards and non-magical people taking over small towns and their surroundings. The perimeter of the area they controlled continued to expand, seemingly more toward Tommy's Crossing than the other directions. Warren was upset when he first heard about the rebellion, or uprising. Now, he was upset and downright angry as well as worried about where it was going to end. Finally, Warren decided to send some spies into the affected area to see what the true facts were. After several weeks, they came back to report troubling findings. In the conquered areas, the common person was treated poorly, many times barely allowed enough food to survive. Pretty women and girls weren't safe on the streets, or even in their own homes. Between the followers of the wizards and the resident criminals, living in the lands taken over by the band was extremely dangerous. His spies reported the apparent leaders of the uprising were three young wizards. Two of them were the worst of the apprentices he dismissed from the school, Mortimer and Kincaid. When he kicked Mortimer and Kincaid out they vowed revenge on Warren and his family. It appeared as if this was the precursor to that revenge. The day his spies returned they made a preliminary report Warren. After he received the abridged version he decided his immediate family and Brenda should meet in his office with the men to get the details of their discoveries. After the three men made the detailed report to everyone he asked, How should we handle this? We can't let it go on. Those two and whoever the third one is can't be allowed to continue mistreating people and running wild like they are. I should have done something about those assholes sooner than I did. Maybe then they wouldn't have enough magic to do what they're doing now. Brenda said, Warren, I'm willing to admit some of this is my fault. If I hadn't asked you to keep them on you'd have gotten rid of them sooner. Even with my background I suppose I was too green to see possible outcomes like this has turned out to be. We have to stop them now, the sooner the better. I propose we move toward them and meet them as far away from here as we can. At least then we'll protect our people better than if we wait for them to come to us. Gloria said. I agree with Brenda. We need to take the battle to them as soon as we can. I agree. Now how do we do that? They seem to have a large contingent of what they call soldiers but they act more like a mob. All they know is how to rape, pillage and burn. After a lot of discussion they decided Warren, Warren Jr. Brenda and Gloria would go on the mission along with about a half dozen of their men. They decided to set themselves up as a band of gypsies traveling the country. Hopefully by doing that they could pick up more intelligence as they traveled and be less conspicuous than just going as a group straight there. It took them three days to prepare for their trip to stop the marauders. They left town early on the fourth morning moving slowly toward the oncoming horde. They weren't in any particular hurry, making only about eight or ten miles a day. They left camp late and stopped early when they could camp near a town or village. While they were camped they did business as if they were a gypsy camp. The women danced, they told fortunes, sold remedies and played music for the locals to dance to. The magically capable did spells, simple healing and sold magically infused items such as Warren's magic lantern. The closer they came to the advancing brigands the more refugees they met heading away from the danger. Finally, on the thirteenth day of travel they saw smoke in the distance. Later that day they came upon a small camp of people, many of whom were injured. They camped with them and provided what medical care they could while they tried to pump them for information. Before dawn the next day Warren and his crew heard, and saw, the refugees pack up and leave, headed away from the danger. 
They traveled another day. That night after they camped Warren said, I think we're close enough for now. I want to head toward town and see what I can find out. Milt, will you come with me please? The rest of you keep the camp set up and go about your business as if we are a band of gypsies. Milt and I may not return until late tomorrow night or the day after depending on what we discover. Warren and Milt each loaded up a backpack and dressed in their rattiest clothes before heading out. They moved slowly, always watching for danger. Most of the farms they passed were deserted or, at least the farmers and their families were in hiding. They scavenged food as they walked. Occasionally they'd meet someone and exchange information, trying to get the location of Mortimer, Kincaid and the other wizard. No one seemed to know where they were, other than somewhere in the nearby town. They were running from the advancing brigands and didn't care as long as they weren't nearby. Early that afternoon they came to the edge of the city. It was almost deserted but they did see a few people moving around and could see several people watching them out of windows, most of them armed in some way. As they neared the center of the city it was almost dark and they tried to stay in the shadows and darkness as much as they could. From time to time they went into a pub or in ostensibly to have a mug of ale but really to see what the gossip could tell them. Most people were very closed-mouthed and they learned nothing to help them. Usually they heard complaints about how hard life was now but nothing overt about the wizards.i in the older part of town. Near the center, they came to an inn with a large common room and pub on the ground floor. There were many rough-looking characters hanging around and the place looked sort of downtrodden. Warren and his group were not dressed in finery by any stretch of the imagination but they were dressed much better than those entering and leaving the inn. When Warren headed toward the door Milt moved beside him and said, My lord it might not be a good idea to enter this inn. I trust not the folk that seem fond of this one. They have the look and manner of those not overly law-abiding. I admit they look rough milk, but surely it would be safe in the common room. Why do you think it wouldn't be a good idea to see if they can answer some of our questions? Sire, you forget how we met. Ralph and I spent much of our time in places such as this before we met you. I've seen guilds sign here for the Assassins and Thieves guilds both. Neither of those occupations are forgiving of outsiders nosing around. Best we just pass on by and hope they follow us not. Milt, we need information. I think my magic can protect us if it comes to that. If it worries you I can go in alone. No. Not that. I'm your man. If you insist on entering, so be it. We need to be very wary and not let anyone get behind us or surround us if we can avoid it. They entered quietly and moved quickly to take a seat near the fireplace. After sitting a few minutes, a buster maid came carrying tankards of ale. She set them on the table without asking if they wanted them and said, That'll be two coppers, gents. Warren looked at Milt, shrugged and dug in his pocket for the coins. After he handed them to the maid, she turned without a word and headed for the man behind the bar where she handed the coins to him. They sat and listened to the conversation for some time, nursing their ale. No one offered to speak to them, and no one answered them when they spoke. Finally, a couple of men wandered up to the table, obviously looking for trouble. They started to speak when Milt looked them in the face and slowly pulled his shirt sleeve up on his left arm. He turned his arm over so they could see a small tattoo on his left wrist. They looked at it a moment and blanched before they turned, without another word, and left the table. After finishing their ale Warren and Milt left. They wandered around the town a little longer then took a different route out, heading back toward the campsite and the remainder of their party. As they walked, Warren asked Milt about the tattoo and why the men left so rapidly when he showed it to them. Milt looked slightly guilty and said, It's a guild mark, my lord. I was, I suppose I still am, a member of the Enforcer's Guild. We are sort of a blending of assassins and thieves, I suppose. 
Most of our work was like that we were involved in the night we attacked you. We do occasionally take contracts to kill, but mostly we only roughed people up, collected debts, defended our master's honor, that sort of thing. Huh. I see. They decided maybe we wouldn't be a good target for their attention then. Okay, enough said about that. After they were well out of town, they stopped for the night. After a quick meal of bread, cheese, and sausage, they rolled up in their blankets and went to sleep. They made it back to the rest of their party just after noon the next day. They told them what had been discovered and gave them the general layout of the town. They decided to continue the next day, having verified the young wizards they were searching for were still in town. Upon arriving at the town, late the next afternoon, the group broke up into two parties, agreeing to meet again at the inn filled with the assassins and thieves later that evening. Warren, Jr., Milt, and the two women went directly to the inn. When they entered the inn two of the characters lounging outside immediately followed them. All conversation stopped when the customers saw unknown men and women entering therein. A large, scraggly-looking, roughly-dressed man saw Brenda and pushed his chair back slightly. He grabbed his crotch and bellowed. Hey wench, you're my woman now. Come on over here and sit on my pleasure pole. I'll give you a seeing to those wimps you're with can never match. Most of the men and a few of the women in the room laughed and watched to see what would happen next. Brenda looked over at the man, wrinkled her nose and said, No, I see no reason to dally with rotten meat when I have prime steak already. Maybe you can find a diseased hog or something that'll let you service her. While this was going on the rest of Warren's party moved into the room looking around for places to sit and potential threats. With a roar the man stood and headed for Brenda as quickly as he could move through the crowd and tables. He yelled, You smart-mouthed C-U-N-T. I was going to pleasure you gently. Now you bitch. You're going to get the fucking of your life and then I'm going to let the rest of these good men have a turn. He reached for her, shoving Milt aside as he did so. Almost before he knew what hit him he was flying through the air and slammed on the floor, knocking the wind out of himself. The inn almost seemed to shudder and many jumped when they heard the loud thump of his landing. He lay there for a moment and slowly rose, still trying to catch his breath. You bitch. You're going to be sorry you did that. Brenda smiled and said, Yeah, I already am. I think I got shit on my hands when I touched you. Another roar and the man charged again. This time he pulled a knife from the scabbard on his belt. Brenda looked at him and said, Bad mistake. She swept his arm aside, made one quick thrust to his throat and stepped back. The man dropped his knife and grabbed his throat as he dropped to the floor gasping and struggling to breathe. Brenda didn't even look at him. She turned her attention to the other men in the room and watched them as the rest of her companions were doing point one of the men at the table the large man came from said. What's wrong with him? Why isn't he getting up? What did you do to him, bitch? What's he doing? What the hell does it look like he's doing, idiot? He's dying. A loud murmur broke out in the room as most of the men watched her attacker breathe his last. Warren stepped farther into the dim room and pulled one of his magic lanterns from his pocket. He turned it on to a medium-bright setting. The men roared and jumped back when Toby, Warren's iguana, stuck his head out of his robes. Point one of the men at a table near Warren said, By the gods. He must be one of the wizards. He has a dragon with him, and he commands the sun. He's brought a piece of it inside. The group moved deeper into the room they walked to a table with only one man sitting at it. Warren said, May we sit, my good man? The man jumped to his feet and tried to speak but nothing came out. He squeaked and nodded his head yes before disappearing into the crowd. Warren looked at the innkeeper and said, Ale for me and my friends. While he was doing that, Junior, Brenda, and Gloria sat at his table. Just as they sat, 
The other four of his men took a table nearby, still watching the customers for more threats. Yes, Sir Wizard. Immediately. Warren's group sat quietly sipping their ale and listening to the slowly increasing conversations. As more people began talking once again, the noise level increased as well. After a short time to let the people settle down, Warren turned to the nearest table and asked, Why are there so few people on the street? We met a lot of people on the road heading away as well. They said there was some kind of army or gang or something robbing people and taking their women. A man looked at Warren in anger and said, As if he didn't know what was going on, you damn wizard. You're probably one of them. You won't get nothing from us to take back to your masters. We knows nothing and we says nothing dot. Warren looked at his group and nodded slightly to Milt then returned his attention to his ale. Soon Milt walked to the bar and asked the innkeeper where the outhouse was. When he came back from the outhouse, Milt stopped at a table or two. He talked to the men and women sitting at the tables, occasionally showing the tattoo on his wrist.at one of the tables he stopped at. Milt was asked, What are you doing with that damn wizard? Ya seems like one of us. Has he got something on ya or what? Maybe we can help you get away. When he first came to our town he was not well versed in his power. He learned and to many of us he was kind, more kind than we deserved. My partner and I were hired to rough him up, maybe kill him. When he bested us, instead of killing us or worse he forced us to work for him for a month. He then went to the house of the man that hired us and killed him without a thought. After our service was up he set us free. We had no one to help us, no work, and working in the guild wasn't enough to keep us and our family fed. He took us in and gave us work. He even married my oldest daughter. He's a good man, a fair man. He helps those less fortunate than he is. We came to try to stop those wizards and their brigands before they could harm more people. So you say. We'll see. Last I knowed, the wizards was holed up in the mayor's office. Some say they found some old books or something and are learning spells from it to use against some other wizard they really hates. I don't know for sure. We've heard the same thing, my friend. If what we've heard is true, they are coming after my master over there. Two of them was his apprentices before he told them to leave. They was mean and nasty assholes and he refused to teach them the magic in hopes they couldn't hurt people like they're doing now. We've come to help him stop them once and for all. Well, like I said, we'll see. Milt walked back to their table and told the rest of the group what he'd learned. They finished their ale and left the inn, heading deeper into town toward what they hoped would be their confrontation with Mortimer and Kincaid. Warren was leading his group cautiously down the street in the direction of the mayor's office. They paid careful attention to alleys, people they met and windows above the street as they walked, hoping to see a pending attack before it began. They rounded a corner and saw what they believed to be their destination ahead. They also saw a group of about a dozen men headed down the street toward them. When they got closer they saw Mortimer and Kincaid leading the pack. Mortimer laughed and said, Well, well, look what we have here. So good of you to come meet us, Warren. We heard you were here. We were just on our way to welcome you to our town and make sure you got what you deserve. As Mortimer spoke, they heard Kincaid muttering. He gestured toward them and a flurry of small projectiles launched from his flung hand heading toward the group. His non-magical men gasped and dropped, hoping the projectiles weren't guided. Warren said, Reverse.exe. Quietly. The projectiles immediately bounced back toward Kincaid at the same speed they were previously approaching. Kincaid and the men following the two disgraced students didn't react as rapidly as had Warren's group. Some of the projectiles hit the men and a few hit Kincaid.3 men and Kincaid fell to the dusty street, blood pouring from deep wounds. Several of the other men screamed and showed bloody spots on their bodies where they were hit. 
The four who fell lay in the street unmoving. Mortimer screamed. You bastard. How did you do that? He muttered and gestured toward the approaching group. While he was doing that, his men spread out and tried to surround, then attack those with Warren. Brenda and Gloria replied with magic while Milt and the other men moved to meet them with their weapons. Junior hesitated then moved to the side so he could attack Mortimer from the side as his father confronted him. A weak fireball moved toward Warren after Mortimer completed his spell. Warren tried bounce, a spell that acted more or less like a trampoline, but the fireball more or less clung to the interface, not having the mass to actually bounce back toward Mortimer. Mortimer laughed when he saw that and began muttering another spell, not paying attention to the kid, Junior, that he held in contempt, remembering him from the school and believing he only got there because he was Warren's child. He never did believe Junior had any ability so dismissed him to his sorrow. Junior enacted his spell while Mortimer was concentrating on his father. A large rock hit Mortimer in the head from the side and he dropped like the proverbial rock, out cold. Junior and his father quickly moved to tie Mortimer up and gag him so he couldn't recite any spells. They also blindfolded him because he couldn't attack what he couldn't see. When they saw both of their leaders so easily subdued the remaining men quickly ran away, some of them dropping the clubs they were wielding. Most kept their knives in their hands as they ran, however, Warren said. Some of you pick Mortimer up and bring him with us. See if we need to do anything for any of these other men before we go. We'll see what's in the mayor's office before we try to find the third bad wizard. Brenda quickly moved to check Kincaid while Gloria began checking some of the other down men. Kincaid and the three who dropped with him were dead. Two of the men that attacked while Junior and Warren were busy with Mortimer were still alive but badly injured. Gloria headed over to Warren to see what he wanted to do with them when Milt solved the problem for her. He pulled his knife and quickly slit their throats before joining them. He said, None of them made it, sire. Shall we move on? Warren looked at him for a moment, smiled, and said, Thank you, Milt. Shall we go? And headed down the street. When they entered the mayor's office, they found a pigsty. There was trash, bottles, and rotting food strewn all over. There was a body laying just outside the back door, and several men and women locked in the city's jail cells. Most of them showed obvious signs of being beaten. The women had been raped as well or at least used hard for sex. They would verify the rape part after they cared for the injuries and fed them. After seeing the state of the prisoners and the office Warren stalked back into the office where Milt and the men were holding Mortimer. He grabbed Mortimer and slammed him against the wall. You asshole, he said. I knew you were trash when I kicked you out of the school but I never thought you'd stoop to this level of barbarism. How could you possibly justify treating people like this? Mortimer looked toward Warren's voice and sneered. Warren reached out and none too gently, took off the gag. Mortimer licked his lips and said, Oh, get over it, old man. They're nothing but peasants. What difference does it make? They're here to serve those of us who have the will to take what we deserve. We're wizards for God's sake. You never had to guts to take control, always preaching about what we could do for the sakes of them. That's not how the world works. So, now you have me. Big deal. I'll just start over after you leave. This time I'll wait longer before I move but one day soon, I'll have a kingdom. Mort, what am I going to do with you? Warren turned away and said, Milt, you and the men find out where he got his spells. I think we need to visit with his new master. I've had enough of his mouth. Yes, sire. Warren and the women walked out of the room. Soon they heard Mortimer scream. His screams continued for several minutes. With an oath, Warren stood and headed for the main room. Brenda and Gloria grabbed his arms and Gloria said, Warren, 
Please, you know we need to know. I know you hate to hear this, but if you won't tell us voluntarily, what other way do we have to get the information? The sounds continued through the late afternoon and into the night. From time to time Warren heard voices in the background. He finally drifted off to sleep well after dark with the questioning still proceeding. The whole group was present the next morning for breakfast. It didn't appear as if anyone got much good rest during the night. Finally, Warren asked, Did you get anything from him? How badly did you injure him? Milt looked at the women and said, Yes, sire. I think we got all we need from him. He claims he found an old wizard's tomb and managed to raid it. He came away with some gold, enchanted items, and a small library. He swore he taught himself the spells from the books he found. That seems... You know, he just might have done that. I noticed his and Kincaid's spells were poorly executed and rather underwhelming. Gloria said, My husband, it is possible. Many wizards are laid to rest with their prized possessions. A great number of them prepare their tombs well before their death, putting their best treasure inside to await their return. When they feel death is upon them, they enter their tombs to die so they can go to the afterlife with some possessions. Of course, if they die before they get back to the tomb, say because someone else aids in their early demise, the tombs remain empty of their body, waiting to be found. Okay, you know best about things like this. Now, how is Mortimer? Everyone looked guilty, many looking down or anywhere except toward Warren. Finally, Gloria said, My husband. I'm afraid poor Mortimer isn't with us any longer. It seems he managed to escape from this reality. Perhaps he's learned his lesson and will be a better person in his next incarnation. What, he escaped? How could you let him? Oh. Well, did you manage to find out about the third wizard before he left us? Oh, we know what happened to him. That was the body just outside the back door. From the looks of things, he upset Mortimer or Kincaid. There was scorch marks and small little holes all over his body. Okay, fine. Do we know where Mortimer's plunder is and where the tomb can be found? Yes. He said his plunder is in his room on the top floor, and we have general directions to the tomb. It's surprisingly close to home. It may even be a tomb prepared by the wizard we found in our house. Okay, great. Let's finish up here and head back home. It took them most of the rest of the day to take care of the business associated with the errant young wizards and reassure the local people that they had no intention of just taking over. They found some of the more influential citizens and charged them with returning the stolen property if they could find the original owners. Warren made sure they realized he would check back to verify proper handling of the property. That which was not returnable was to be converted to community use or sold and the money used for the community. Warren and his crew did take all the items associated with magic with them when they departed, however. On the way home they intended to go by the location of the wizard's tomb or library or whatever it was. From the information they received from good old Mortimer, they weren't sure what he had actually found or even the exact location. Chapter 05 As they had planned, on their way back to Tommy's Crossing, Warren and his party looked for the alleged wizard's tomb. They finally found it, more by luck than the directions Mort gave them. It was upstream from Tommy's Crossing just inside a small canyon, from which a tributary stream ran. The tomb was dug into a cliff above the high watermark by several feet and extremely difficult to access. They couldn't imagine how Mortimer and Kincaid managed to even find it. It was so well hidden. They had to have stumbled onto it by accident. There was a barely discernible wildlife trail leading away from the larger stream up the bank of the smaller tributary into the canyon. Just inside the canyon, the trail split, 
The more well-defined branch continued upstream and the more dimly visible trail headed toward a crevice leading up the cliff. The trail curled around a couple of large boulders, climbing up the steep ridge as it went. They soon came out into a small valley or glen several feet above the larger valley through which the tributary stream ran. There was a small spring-fed waterfall just inside the upper valley. The runoff from it ran past the tomb before falling once again into the lower valley and joining the larger stream. The entrance to the tomb was just inside the upper valley and overlooked the junction of the two streams. They had to be well near the edge of the drop-off to the lower level before they could see the streams which is why they couldn't see the tomb entrance from below. The upper valley was no more than an acre, about half the size of the land area of Wizard's Island, their home. Both women stopped just after they crested the rise into the valley and looked in awe. Gloria said, This is beautiful. I can see why the wizard wanted to be laid to rest here. It's so beautiful and peaceful I could live here. Warren stood between the women and, without thinking, wrapped his arms around each of them. He smiled and said, Yeah, this seems so peaceful compared, even, to our island and definitely it's better than Tommy's Crossing. Now, shall we see what we can find if those two miscreants left anything? The group slowly moved toward and into the tomb. As they wandered around they were surprised at the amount of stuff remaining inside. There were vials of various liquids and powders, tools and utensils of all types, furniture and bedding as well as a small library. Warren stood in the middle of the room and said, I don't think this is a tomb. I don't see anywhere I would expect a coffin or body to be laid to rest and I've never heard of a tomb with windows. I think this was a wizard's home or retreat. Brenda said, Yeah. It looks more like a house than anything else. I suppose it could be what passed for a laboratory considering the small amount of furniture but it's certainly not a tomb. She walked to the door and looked outside then continued. It's getting late. Are we going to try to get home today, or are we staying here or someplace along the trail closer to home? Warren followed her to the door and stood looking over the small glen. He moved outside and sat on a nearby rock that looked as if it had been used for that very purpose many times before. He said, I think we'll stay here tonight. I want to spend more time looking over the things inside. Maybe find some books to take back and I'm tired enough I don't want to walk or ride any more today. Having heard that, most of the group returned to the lower valley where they had to leave the wagon and horses, to get items needed for the camp. The various individuals quickly began opening packs and getting out bed rolls, food and utensils to set up the camp. Most of them decided to stay at the foot of the trail with the livestock and wagon. Warren and the two women decided they'd sleep inside so they could work on the books and other items of interest for a while before they called it a night so they had to bring some of their belongings into the valley. Warren's teleportation helped immensely with that task. A couple of the men took off to see if they could find some game for fresh meat. Two more went to the lower river to see if they could catch some fish, and the ladies went into the valley looking for edible plants. This left Warren and Junior free to return to their studies inside the house. The next morning Warren filled his coffee cup and wandered away from the women. He found a quiet spot near the small waterfall and sat on a mossy log. He leaned back against a tree growing up beside it and sipped his coffee as he looked out over the small glen toward the larger valley. After his coffee was gone, he reluctantly stood and returned to the fire for more. While he was there, Gloria handed him his breakfast. Warren stood holding his coffee and breakfast trying to decide where to sit. He didn't see any place that looked very comfortable so he returned to the mossy log he sat on before. After he had eaten his breakfast he just leaned back listening to the birds and the tree leaves rustling in the light breeze. He was drifting off to sleep when Gloria walked up to him. She watched him for a moment before saying, 
Husband are you going to sleep the day away or should we finish packing so we can leave? Tis getting late and we know not how long it will take us to get back to our home. The men down below are getting restless. Warren looked out over the glen a moment longer before he stood and started toward the front of the cave and small cabin. Truthfully, it was more cabin than cave because whoever had built it had just rocked in a rectangular area underneath a large rock overhang turning it into the tomb or home or whatever. When he got back to the cabin, Warren stopped, leaned forward, and picked up his pack, settling it onto his shoulders. He looked around once more and started walking toward the trail into the lower valley. As he began moving, he said, Well, I suppose we need to move on. It's so peaceful here, I hate to leave. When the men saw Warren and the women moving down the trail from the upper valley they completed departure preparations and were ready to go by the time they got to the lower camp. After a few words of greeting Warren mounted his horse and said, Well, let's get on the road. I'd like to be home before dark if we can. When they arrived at the larger river, which was less than a half mile from the cabin's slash tomb, they turned downstream and headed back toward Tommy's crossing. They weren't moving very fast because everyone was still tired even with the rest they got during their stay at what Warren decided to call the cabin. Their travels and the short fight they had with the wizards and their gang had tired them physically and mentally. It was a beautiful day to just be alive, and they all were enjoying it as they traveled. As they traveled, they kept alert for danger of the two and four-legged variety. They didn't expect trouble but the prudent traveler paid attention to his or her surroundings because it wasn't unheard of. It had been several years since there was serious trouble with bandits in the area but it was possible they could stumble onto some, mostly from gangs that had recently moved into the area. In general, wild animals didn't bother humans but if they crossed the path of a predator, at the very least, the horses might spook. Warren's policy probably had more to do with the peacefulness of the local citizens than did the supposed law enforcement officials. He made his services available to any who had need if they were sick or injured and sold his enchanted items indiscriminately as well. Of course, no one saw trouble with a wizard but they might attack, not knowing one was with the group if bandits were around. Warren was hell on wheels bad to deal with if you committed a crime, especially a violent one. He and Brenda, the ex-FBI agent, hunted down violent criminals like a pair of bloodhounds. When they caught them their ending wasn't pleasant but it was normally humanely fast. They never punished an innocent person either. Warren had discovered a spell that could force someone to tell the truth so when they caught a suspect, he questioned them and they damned or cleared themselves. Occasionally, he caught the wrong person and discovered a heinous crime in their past so he punished them for that crime then continued hunting his original quarry. It became known far and wide that you didn't harm anyone near Tommy's crossing either personally or by proxy. Serious thievery from time to time also caused Warren to hunt you down although some did get by with petty thievery merely because it wasn't worth his time and effort to find them. Of course, non-violent crimes Warren punished with less severe punishments, but each criminal they caught knew they would be punished. From time to time, if a criminal discovered Warren or Brenda was after them, they gave themselves up, especially if they had only committed a minor crime, because they knew they couldn't escape the wizards. Violent criminals, the few there were, got as far away as they could, hoping Warren either wouldn't find them or would give up because they left the area. The group was anxious to get home so didn't stop and cook a noon meal. They did stop to eat and rest for a while at lunch. By noon, they were traveling through country some of the men recognized so they were confident they could make it back home by nightfall. Everyone was exceedingly happy when they could finally see Tommy's crossing ahead of them. When they got to the ferry landing they split up. Those who lived in town went home. Warren and his small group of island dwellers had to get the boat and paddle back to the island. 
Warren wanted to just teleport home, but since he could only take one person with him at a time, he opted to ride the boat with the rest of them. Those who went on the trip spent the next two days after getting home resting except for absolutely necessary tasks. Warren or one of the other wizards did go to the Indaly in case there were medical emergencies that required their attention. Thankfully, there were none. The less powerful wizards in training, the healers and hedge witches had taken care of all the minor illnesses and injuries while they were gone. As they settled back into the normal routine, Warren found himself strangely unhappy. He was restless and wandered around the island more than usual. He had trouble concentrating on his research and didn't feel as comfortable teaching the few apprentices they had. After the third day of him wandering around or sitting staring into space, Brenda asked, Warren, what's bothering you? You've been as restless as a cat on a hot tin roof since we got back. I don't know for sure, Brenda. I'm having trouble concentrating. I'm not interested in teaching and I'm sick of the greedy customers wanting some magical something that they think will allow them to get over on or take advantage of someone. I just want to chuck it all sometimes. Well, why don't you? We can handle things here. Just take some time off and chill. If we run into something we can't handle, we can find you and either get your advice or, if worse comes to worse, you can step in. You know you're right. I think I'll do just that. I'm going back to the cabin. Warren stood and, to her surprise, gave Brenda a tight hug before, with a loud pop, he disappeared and instantly reappeared in the yard of what he now considered his cabin. It was just after dark when Warren popped back into his house on the island. Gloria and Tanya quickly surrounded him, if it's possible for two people to surround one, and gave him hell for just taking off on them. He said, I'm sorry ladies. I just had to get away and Brenda suggested I go to the cabin. I did tell her where I was going. Tanya said, and it never occurred to you, husband, that we might like to go to the cabin also? Or that we might worry about you? And what did you do for food, my dear? I said I was sorry. I caught some fish and had them for lunch and supper along with some vegetables I found. I think I'll go back tomorrow as well. If you want to go with me I'll take one or both of you. Gloria said. You'd better. Now come to bed. We have needs, husband. Early the next morning... Warren prepared a large pack of things he thought he'd need at the cabin, gave Junior and Brenda some instructions then he and Gloria popped out of sight. They popped back into sight, had anyone been there to see them, in the yard of the little cabin. After they unpacked they went back into the yard and just sat relaxing. Soon, Gloria was leaning against Warren, cuddling, her head in one hand on his chest. Warren used his hand to gently raise her head and turn it toward him. He leaned down and gave her a gentle kiss. He pulled back and they looked deeply into each other's eyes before Gloria leaned toward him once again. This time the kiss was more urgent and lasted longer. When they broke this kiss Gloria moaned. Her nipples were hard little nubs visible through the material of her dress. Her neck and upper chest were deep red and she was breathing hard. Warren reached down and adjusted his cock to a more comfortable position. He then gently lay Gloria down on the soft moss and leaves near his favorite log. Warren laid beside her and began kissing her once again as he reached down and pulled her skirt up, bearing her crotch. She spread her legs and moaned when she felt his fingers gently caressing her already wet pussy. After several more kisses, Warren moved until he was kneeling between her spread legs. He leaned forward and gently blew on her wet cunt and ran his tongue up from her taint to her clit. When he hit her clit she gasped and her hips jerked. Warren began to gently lick nibble and occasionally use his teeth to gently pull her pussy lips while he ran his fingers inside her. Slowly at first, then more rapidly, her pelvis began to writhe and thrust against his fingers as she rose to her orgasm. Finally with a screech, she came, 
her hips thrusting wildly as the pleasure surged through her core. Warren continued licking and caressing her pussy until she grabbed his head and pulled him away. She pulled him upward until she could kiss him. While they were kissing, she fumbled with his pants until she freed his cock then pulled it toward her leaking pussy. When she felt the first nudge of his cock at her opening she moaned and thrust her hips upward, seating a little over an inch inside her. Warren, and she then began that age-old motion, going faster and faster as they rose to the ultimate plateau. Her back arced and her pussy fluttered, squeezing his cock. As she was coming down from her second larger orgasm, Warren went over the edge. He slammed tightly into her grasping pussy and unloaded a torrent of cum. When the first surge of pleasure roared through him he yelled, U-ch-ch-ch-ch-ch, and almost collapsed onto her dot he gave Gloria a gentle kiss and carefully rolled to the side where he lay with her, both breathing hard while they recovered from their afternoon delight. After he somewhat recovered, Warren stood and said, I'd better go get Tanya. She said she'd be done with her work in town by noon. I don't want her to be more pissed at me than she was yesterday. Warren was quickly back with Tanya and more supplies. Soon the women were preparing the evening meal and talking in low tones. Warren just sat looking out over the valley and enjoying the solitude as he listened to the faint hum of insects and the noise of other wildlife flitting about. After supper, they sat outside and watched the sunset together. After it was full dark, they returned to the house and their bed. Another gentle bout of lovemaking, this time with Tanya, eased them into a deep, restful sleep. Warren woke the next morning to the smell of coffee. When he sat on the edge of the bed, Gloria handed him his first cup with a smile. Warren took a couple swallows then stood and headed outside to take his morning piss. He saw Tanya already sitting on their log watching the world awaken. When he didn't come back inside, Gloria followed him. She found him sitting on a rock near the cliff and Tanya, looking out over the lower valley also. He smiled and pulled her to him then said, I love it here. I think I'm going to stay a while and study some. It's so peaceful I think I can get a lot accomplished, and I don't think they need me back at the island. For the next three weeks Warren, Tanya, and Gloria stayed at the cabin. Every couple of days he, popped, back to the island to check on things and see if they needed help. While they were at the cabin, he, Gloria, and Tanya studied, rested, made love, studied, made love, wandered around, made love, and so on. One day Gloria decided to return to the island with Warren. He wrapped her in his arms while he teleported them back. She was watching his eyes as he did the move, trying to follow his thought processes as she thought of the spell for teleportation she had been studying. She could almost see and feel what he did to move them. She felt a small twisting or tugging in her mind she hadn't felt before and remembered Warren saying something about that same feeling when he teleported. After they arrived at the island, they each went their separate ways, each checking on things they normally would have done if they had been there. They were mostly checking to be sure those who had done their normal work hadn't had problems and didn't need their help. After Gloria was almost done with the most important things, she found a request she come to town to see an old patient. The old woman who sent it refused to let one of the healers check on a patient Gloria had healed. Gloria sat fuming, wishing she had gone with Warren so she wouldn't have to get him to take her back or have one of the men row her over in the boat. She did what Warren told her he had done long ago. She saw where she wanted so badly to be and felt a twist and a pull in her mind then. All at once, she was standing in the dimly lit room of the old woman's house. When she popped into the house, the old woman screamed and turned toward Gloria with a knife she had been using to prepare some food. Gloria started to back up, trying to get away from the woman. Finally, the woman recognized her and stopped advancing. She said, Oh, my lady. Sorry, I am to come at you with a knife. 
You startled me when you just popped into me home like you did. Thank you for coming to see my little granddaughter. I need you to look at her. She's a mite bit under the weather, she is. Has a woman's problem we need your help with. Where is she? I'll see what I can do. She just went back to her bed. She's sick, she is. Can't keep anything on her stomach after those men mistreated her. You done healed the broken bones and cuts and bruises, but now she has other problems. Gloria followed the old woman into a small room with a bed and nothing else in it. There was a young girl laying on the bed looking pale and pasty. Gloria moved to the bed and sat beside her. She lay her hand on the girl's forehead. After feeling her forehead, she rolled the girl gently onto her back and lay her hand on her belly then raised her dress to check her pussy. Gloria looked into the distance for a moment then said, Well, there's nothing wrong that a little time won't cure. There's no fever and there doesn't seem to be an infection in the pussy. She smiled, then the smile faded as she remembered why she had to treat the girl in the first place. She continued talking. I'm sorry, but this isn't something I can treat at this time. You're not sick, you're pregnant, honey. When your time comes, one of the healers or a midwife can care for you at the birth. If there's any complications, Warren, or I will be here as soon as we can. We're staying upstream at a small cabin now, but we check back here every day or two. The old woman moaned. You think I didn't know that? We needs you to fix it, we does. I can't, I won't fix it. Some might, but I will not kill a child just because having it will be hard on you and your granddaughter. Oh, woe is me. How are we going to make it now? It's all we can do to keep food on the table now. If Tilly has to stop working the inn because of the child, we'll be sore put to survive. I'm sorry, but there's nothing I can do. Gloria left the small hovel and went to the inn in search of Warren. When she found him, he smiled then said, What are you doing here, dear? I thought you decided to stay on the island. Which of the men had to bring you over? Gloria smiled for a moment at her exciting news about her newfound skill of teleportation. Then the smile faded when she remembered why she came to town and the hardship the pregnancy would be for the old woman and young lady. First, she said, No one brought me to town, husband. I received some worrisome news and a request for help from one of my patients. All my study and your teaching finally worked and I teleported here. I can teleport now. That's great. So why the long face? Oh, that's because of the problem I came to treat. You remember the rape injury I had to treat a while back? You tracked down the men and took care of them? Yes, so? Well, the poor woman has ended up pregnant. She, or at least her grandmother, wanted me to abort the child. I refused, of course, but now they're facing an even more bleak future than before. I was wondering. Can we take the woman with us to the cabin? We can give her room and board in exchange for work. Warren smiled and said, I really don't like the idea of having someone else at the cabin with us. When all three of us are there, it's full of bodies as it is. If you insist, I suppose we could make it happen, though. I'd rather see her just move to the island and work there, or we could maybe find something here. It's not work for her so much as feeding her, the child, and the grandmother. She works here at the nights, you recall. Oh, yeah? I forgot that. Can we use her here for anything? Maybe open a store to sell our potions, in source items, small things we or our people have made. She could serve as a receptionist for us when we're here for office hours. We could work out of the store instead of here at the inn. I'm sure we can make some arrangement. I like the idea of opening a store. Maybe we could have one next to the inn here. There's a couple of empty spots we could build or maybe we could buy or rent one of those empty buildings nearby. I just don't want to upset old Seth. He's been awfully good about letting us work here in the common room. Warren laughed and said, 
Yeah, after he figured out his business went up when we were here. Remember he tried to charge us for working here until that time we left for a few days because his price was too high. Remember he agreed to let us work here for free if we just come back? Gloria laughed and said, Yeah, I had sort of forgotten that. He's not apt to be too happy if we move out. Maybe he'll let us partition off a front corner of the inn for our store. Seth wasn't pleased at all when Warren approached him about the possibility of them finding a building of their own. He blustered and threatened but really had nothing he could do to prevent the departure of Warren and the potential decline in his business if Warren did find another building to work out of. Finally, in desperation, he actually offered to build them a separate room to use if they just keep working out of the inn. After some spirited discussion Warren and Gloria agreed to keep working out of the inn if Seth would convert the front room next to the common room to their office and storefront. He agreed to making a door from the common room into the store rather than making everyone use the door that opened from the hallway. In less than a week, they had a new store and treatment facility and the inn kept the business of those waiting their turn to see the wizard, still using the common room as a waiting room. After much discussion, it was decided to let Dottie, the pregnant girl, work for both the inn and the wizards. She was to be allowed to have her child at work with her after it came. That way, she made more money, could care for the child, and still live in town with her grandmother. After they settled everything, Warren called a meeting of all their people. He said, Gloria, Tanya and I are going to move to the cabin. Junior and Brenda will be in charge here and will be responsible for the day-to-day operations here on the island and in town. The three of us will be on call for emergencies and difficult cases. One of us will check in several times a week to see if you need us. I'm tired and need more peace and quiet than is available around here now. I also want to spend more time just doing pure research and I can't concentrate here. Someone's always interrupting me for a problem or with a question. By the end of the week, Warren and his two wives were moved out. They quickly settled into their idyllic life and relaxed. With the slower lifestyle they spend more time working and studying magic, learning new spells, new uses for old spells and even inventing new spells. Tanya wasn't a magician per se, but became very knowledgeable about potions, remedies and non-magical items. She just didn't have any true magical ability to her dismay. As time passed, Warren became more content with his new life and finally stopped trying to find his way home. He now considered Tommy's crossing to be his home. He occasionally missed and wondered what happened to his parents but they were surely dead after so many years and he wouldn't see them again. He didn't miss the hustle and bustle of life on his earth but he did still miss some of his favorite foods like pizza. He had introduced some of his favorites and they did approximate the tastes he remembered but to him at least they weren't the same. The older he got, the less interested he was in anything except enjoying what remained of his life. He found himself working and studying less, sitting and enjoying life more. He and his wives spent nearly all their time at the cabin now, only checking on the island and town once a week or so when they needed supplies. Brenda continued to be happy enough at the island but she never totally assimilated into the culture here. She was happiest when she was on a case and became the primary enforcer when a criminal had to be hunted down and dealt with. She was always an outsider, tolerated but never completely embraced by any of the locals and she never developed any close friendships. No one knew if that was because of her past occupation, the time from which she came, or if it was just a personal quirk of hers. She never allowed anyone to see her depth, if any, of personality. They never saw Gloria's father again, and Warren never learned how to travel the dimensions. He did, eventually, learn how to view across the dimensions but was never sure he ever even found his home dimension although he viewed several that could have been it. It seemed, from his research, 
that every decision made with worldwide impact caused a branch in the time stream. Fortunately, the average man didn't cause such changes unless they made a decision that caused a major disruption to the stream point twelve years after they moved to the cabin the end finally came for Warren. He died peacefully in his sleep. To the best of his knowledge, he had celebrated his 73rd birthday a few days before he began feeling serious chest pains, pains that he was pretty sure were heart-related but, having no modern medicine to determine if that was a fact and no way to treat it if it was he just took it as easy as he could until the end. Gloria and Tanya lived a few years longer but basically wasted away without their man. Tanya died first, three springs after Warren, and Gloria died that next winter from what Brenda thought was a severe case of the flu. The End This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Visit the other channels for more stories with a different focus. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out.